Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Imagine this. The year is 1830, and you have a horn growing out of the center of your forehead. It's the color and texture of tree bark. It started forming six years ago, and now it's nearly 10 inches long. You want this weird growth gone, but the doctors all tell you the same thing. Surgery is going to be horrifically painful. However, after six years of living with this thing growing out of your head, you don't really care anymore. You go in for surgery. To handle the pain you know is coming, you're given whiskey. That's it. Drunk but fully aware that a scalpel is aimed at your face. You lay back, bite down on a towel, and hope for the best. It's the most excruciating thing you have ever experienced, but you survive the ordeal. And because of that, you become famous for being one of the first successful plastic surgery patients ever. And I'm sure you've guessed by now that this is a true story. The patient in question was Madame de Manche of Paris. She had a cutaneous horn, which is a large tumor formed out of keratin. After her successful operation, she became a poster child for plastic surgery. A wax model of her face, horn and all, was purchased by an American medical school graduate while he worked abroad. His name was Dr. Thomas Muter, and he would become one of the most important surgeons in the world. Born in Virginia in 1811, Thomas's boyhood was marked by tragedy. By the time he was seven years old, his brother, mother, and father had all passed away from illness. He was sent to live with his grandmother, but soon she too died. He was then raised by a family friend, until at 15 years old, he left to go to college. And Thomas flourished in school. He flew through his undergrad studies and soon moved to Philadelphia, where he attended the University of Pennsylvania Medical School. At just 20 years old, he officially became Dr. Muter. The next year, he took a trip to Paris to study the burgeoning field of plastic surgery. Now, just to be clear, Dr. Muter wasn't doing facelifts. In the 1800s, plastic surgeons were most often focused on helping patients with congenital deformities, body growths, or injuries from severe accidents. Usually, they worked with very extreme cases, like that of Madame de Manche. Dr. Muter purchased the wax model of her face while working in Paris and brought it back to Philadelphia. The following year, in 1832, he established his own medical practice. He soon gained a reputation as someone who truly cared about his patient's comfort and safety. When he operated, he tried to keep the surgery clean and quick to minimize his patient's suffering. But still, the sculpture of the horned woman served as a sad reminder. People tended to avoid surgery even when they desperately needed it. It was just too painful, and a lot of 19th century doctors didn't seem to care. They viewed pain as a natural part of surgery, something to be accepted rather than avoided. But Dr. Muter disagreed. If surgery wasn't so agonizing, people would be more likely to get the help that they needed. And that's why when he learned about a new medical technology in 1846, he was desperate to try it. It was called ether. Now, for those who don't know, ether was an early form of anesthesia. It knocked patients unconscious during surgery, preventing them from feeling any pain. Many physicians were opposed to its use, though, believing that it could be dangerous. But Dr. Motors saw it as an opportunity that couldn't be passed up. That same year, 
Dr. Motor became the first surgeon in Philadelphia to administer anesthesia. It was a huge success, and people began flocking to him for pain-free, or at least far less painful, medical care. Over the next few decades, the practice of administering anesthesia before surgery caught on. Meanwhile, Dr. Motor became a professor at the local Jefferson Medical College. He lectured on the benefits of ether, inspiring a generation of physicians. By the time he died in 1859, he had become a symbol for a more humane, patient-centered approach to medicine. He'd also amassed an impressive collection of medical specimens, which were eventually used to found Philadelphia's Mütter Museum. And these days, the museum is considered one of the nation's foremost collections of historical medical oddities. It houses a mixture of Dr. Mütter's belongings and other curious acquisitions, like cross-sections of Albert Einstein's brain, a tumor from U.S. President Grover Cleveland's jaw, and of course, that wax model of Madame Dimanche. So if you ever have to go to the OR, spare a thought for the horned woman and the surgeon she inspired, and be thankful that doctors can knock you out with more than just a stiff drink. On Valentine's Day in 1981, 12-year-old Todd Domboski was walking down the streets in his Pennsylvanian hometown. His tennis shoes hit the asphalt with each step. Todd knew to never walk around barefoot. That was something that you just didn't do there. He glanced up at the trees, admiring the first hint of green as winter turned into spring. Then, suddenly, he heard a cracking sound. His heart leapt as the ground dropped out from beneath him, creating a sinkhole that was 150 feet deep. Smoke billowed out of the fissure in the earth, and Todd fell right in. He flailed his arms desperately, only just managing to grab hold of an exposed tree root underneath the broken concrete. He held on for dear life, trying not to inhale the smoke. And of course, he screamed for help. Thankfully, Todd's cousin was just up the road, and he ran down to pull Todd out of the sinkhole. Shaken by the close call, both boys rushed home. The worst part was, this was just another day in Centralia. It had all started 19 years earlier, in May of 1962. The city's landfill was starting to overflow. Their annual Memorial Day celebration was coming, and the last thing they wanted was to make citizens parade past a giant mountain of garbage. So the city council came up with a solution. Burn all the trash. It seemed simple enough. The fire department surrounded the landfill with flame-resistant material, then set the rubbish ablaze. When all the garbage had been reduced to ash, they doused the area with water, and snuffed out any remaining embers. Or so they thought. Two days later, the landfill was somehow on fire again. Firefighters sprayed more water, but it didn't seem to help. The following week, more flames arose. Confused, the fire department sifted through the ash to find out where these seemingly immortal flames were coming from. That's how they discovered that they had made a horrible mistake. You see, in the early 20th century, Centralia was a mining town, but that was so long ago that when the officials lit the landfill on fire, they didn't think to check underneath it first. If they had, they would have noticed that all the trash was stacked on top of an opening of a coal mine. Completely by accident, the fire department had ignited that coal. And it wasn't just a single mine. It was a labyrinth of them, stretching out beneath the city in all directions, all ablaze. Over the following months, a fire raged underneath people's homes and businesses. The ground was hot to the touch. Smoke rose out of cracks in the concrete, and people started getting sick because carbon monoxide levels became unnaturally high. 
Of course, the fire department tried to stop the blaze, but your regular run-of-the-mill fire hoses were weak weapons when it came to putting out miles-long underground coal fire. They sought outside help and ended up spending $7 million trying to put the fire out. But by 1981, when 12-year-old Todd almost fell into a flaming sinkhole, the mines were still burning. In 1983, 21 years after the fire began, the federal government stepped in. U.S. officials spent $42 million to purchase the entirety of Centralia, demolishing all the buildings and relocating the 2,500 people who once called the city home. The government even revoked the city's zip code, officially wiping it off the map. And just like that, Centralia turned into a ghost town, a smoky, abandoned abyss of a ghost town. However, 63 determined citizens insisted on staying put. They remained in Centralia for another decade, until the state of Pennsylvania invoked eminent domain in 1993, forcing the remaining locals to leave. Well, most of them. If you can believe it, exactly six people refused to leave Centralia, even though it had become a dangerous ghost town where the streets routinely opened up to reveal the flaming mines below. In 2013, these remaining Centralians sued the state of Pennsylvania for rights to their property. They each received a settlement of nearly $350,000 and the right to stay in their homes for as long as they lived. And you have to admit it's a spooky image. Six people living in a town that doesn't officially exist, their homes nestled in between the rubble of raised buildings and the ash of a fire that's still burning. In fact, it was so spooky that it inspired the creators of a well-known horror movie franchise. The setting of Silent Hill was inspired by Centralia, and these days the city is more commonly known as the real-life Silent Hill. Sadly, it doesn't look like Centralia will be getting a new reputation anytime soon. The fire beneath the city has been going for 61 years, and according to experts, there's enough coal in the mines to keep it burning for 250 more. I guess that doesn't technically qualify as an eternal flame, but it's pretty darn close. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.